The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC. Over the middle, Tracy, Tracy won't be stopped, touchdown. You can see it's an outstanding opportunity, off coverage, Tracy, we've been talking about how can you beat the coverage on the outside? You can see because the safety's up, that inside slant route was going to be there every single time. It was about when Brian Ferentz was going to see it and take advantage of it. Well, I'm telling you what, he dialed up something sweet right there. That was impressive. They go for two. Makai Sargent, the setback. No whistle. He's in there. That's Stanley very close. I thought he had it. Well, he's he's pushed him. back at the one. He stopped him. He was short of the goal line. Try is no good. Hello everyone, this is John Patchett and welcome to the football show from Hawkeye's Mike. This is our new Reporter's Notebook podcast featuring Steve Batterson who previews this week's Iowa-Minnesota game in the annual battle for Floyd of Rosedale and also reflects on the Hawks' 24-22 loss at Wisconsin. Plus we have Bonenkamp's Big Breakdown, John Bonenkamp's weekly look at Big Ten football, and you'll hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and Minnesota's P.J. Fleck. This Hawkeyes Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs, which include sports reporters Scott Docterman of The Athletic and Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times, along with award-winning sports writer John Bonenkamp. The Iowa-Wisconsin game highlights are courtesy of Fox, with announcers Tim Brando and Spencer Tillman. We very much appreciate it and thank them. All for seven on third. They're going to try to convert and make the eighth opportunity great. This is a tight bunch formation. This is a problem for Wisconsin. they got to get it out. There it is. Touchdown, Ragini. His first touchdown. Stanley goes six of seven on that drive. Eleventh touchdown toss of the year for the Menominee, Wisconsin native, Nate Stanley, trying to finally get the team from back home. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on. Up to 10 washings. Moisturizes. Alcohol-free. And safe for the kids. So go ahead. Touch anything and everything. Ooh, a toilet. Prefins. Keep your hands germ-free all day. The Iowa Hawkeyes return to action this Saturday at Kinnick Stadium against the Minnesota Golden Gophers in the annual battle for Floyd of Rosedale. Kickoff is set for 3.05 p.m. The Hawkeyes are coming off another tough loss at Wisconsin, which eliminated them from Big Ten West title contention. They will now attempt to play the role of spoiler for the remainder of the regular season. The Gophers, on the other hand, are undefeated this season and lead the West Division of the conference. Iowa sits at 6-0 three overall in just three and three in Big Ten play. It has fallen to 23rd in the Associated Press poll and 22nd in the Coaches poll. The Hawkeyes' three losses to ranked Michigan, Penn State, and Wisconsin are by a combined 14 points and all one-possession games. Minnesota is 9-0 and overall and 6-0 and in Big Ten play. The Gophers are ranked 7th in both the AP and Coaches polls. They have wins this season over South Dakota State, Fresno State, Georgia Southern, Purdue, Illinois, Nebraska, Rutgers, Maryland, and last week they stunned Penn State. 
Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz is in his 21st season with the Hawkeyes and the dean of college football coaches with a record of 158 and 104 at Iowa. His 94 Big Ten Conference wins leaves him just one victory shy of tying Joe Paterno for fifth all-time in conference history. Minnesota head coach P.J. Fleck is rowing his boat for the third year at Minnesota, where his record has improved to 21 and 13. His overall record in seven years as a head coach which is 51 and 35. The Gophers lead this series 62-48-2, but the Hawkeyes have a four-game win streak over Minnesota and have possessed Floyd of Rosedale for 14 of the last 18 seasons. This is the first year since 2003 that both teams enter the game ranked in the top 20. Iowa won last year's game in Minneapolis 48-31. The Hawkeyes are 30-23-1 all-time against the Gophers, in games played in Iowa City. In game notes, Iowa place kicker Keith Duncan is tied for first in the FBS with 22 field goals, and the three he kicked last week at Wisconsin moved him into first place all-time in program history. His 86.1% in made field goals also ranks as the best ever for a Hawkeyes kicker with at least 30 attempts. Iowa's defense continues to be highly ranked despite what happened last week in Madison. The Hawkeyes remain in the top 20 in scoring, rushing, passing, and total defense. Iowa's scoring defense, 11.7 points per game, is the lowest in the Ferentz era and the lowest by any Hawkeyes team since 1959. Iowa has allowed just 12 touchdowns in its nine games, third fewest in the nation, trailing only Ohio State and Georgia. Minnesota has made the most interceptions in the Big Ten this season, with 14. Its offense is one of the most explosive and productive in the conference after Ohio State's. The Gophers are second in the Big Ten in scoring offense and third in time of possession. In that category, they're one spot ahead of Iowa. The Hawkeyes and Gophers are the two least penal teams in the conference, and Minnesota is third in turnover margin. The Gophers have won 11 straight games. That ties Baylor for the third longest win streak in the country. And while Minnesota is 6-0 in the Big Ten this year, it has never won seven straight conference games. However, in games played at Kinnick Stadium, Minnesota has an eight-game losing streak. It's not won in Iowa City since 1999. In tidbits and nuggets, Saturday's game marks the 130th anniversary of Iowa football. The first game was played against Grinnell in November of 1889. This rivalry contest is Iowa's annual blackout game, in addition to having Floyd of Rosedale on the line. This is one of four trophy games Iowa plays, the third one played this year, and it currently holds three of those four trophies, the Cyhawk Trophy versus Iowa State, the Bronze Pig versus Minnesota, and the Heroes Trophy versus Nebraska. The Hawkeyes are 14-4 and in their last 18 rivalry games. All four losses came at the hands of Wisconsin in the battle for the Heartland Trophy. Minnesota plays three trophy games itself against Iowa, Wisconsin, and Penn State. The Gophers hold two of those three, just not Floyd. This game will be televised on Fox with announcers Joe Davis, Brock Yard, and Bruce Feldman. As usual, the game will be broadcast on the Hawkeye Radio Network with Gary Dolphin, Ed Podolak, and Rob Brooks. It will also be available on Satellite Radio, XM Channel 207, and Sirius Channel 121. And broadcast school has really paid off. Called out of the pocket. Now that one's a free ball. That's a live one in Iowa 
Bell's got it. At the 16-yard line, literally taken out of his hand, Cedric Lattimore has the recovery. Epinesa knocked it free. Not surprisingly, AJ on the field with a payday. A Epinesa gets out here in a wide five technique on the outside. It makes it tough for a big lineman to try to affect him, but he not only closes that gap, he gets there fast enough, was able to get that hand on the ball and chops it down before there's forward progress. That music means Bonencamp's big breakdown is next. You can follow John Bonencamp on Twitter, at John Bonencamp, and you can read John's articles on Sports Illustrated's Hawkeye Maven at si.com forward slash college forward slash Iowa. John calls in next to talk Big Ten football with the latest numbers from the Points Bet Sportsbook Catfish Bend Casino in Burlington. John, it's week 12 already in the Big Ten Conference. 11 conference teams will take the field this week. That'll be five divisional meetings. Same thing as last week. Ohio State stands atop the East Division, a 6-0 record, but Penn State's dropped to 5-1. Minnesota comes in undefeated. You've been like kind of the lone defender of Minnesota's record all season long in terms of the West Division, 6-0. Wisconsin second at 4-2. Here's the depressing part. If you're an Iowa fan, they're now fourth at 3-3, trailing Illinois which is 4-3. and three. Two of the nation's five remaining undefeated FBS teams are in the Big Ten, the Buckeyes and the Gophers. For the Gophers, they've won 12 of their last 13 games, 11 in a row. It's their longest winning streak since 1939-42. The Buckeyes lead the nation both in scoring offense and scoring defense. They look almost unstoppable, really. Eight Big Ten schools are already bowl eligible. So talking about last week's results, certainly the most interesting thing was uh, Minnesota's defeat of Penn State in Minneapolis 31 to 26. Yeah, I mean that was I mean it was it kind of surprised me. I thought Penn State would go in there and I thought I thought it would be a close game and I thought they'd come out of there with a win and and I mean Minnesota again it's momentum at this point and I mean this is a team with a lot of confidence. You know, I go back to what I've been saying about them all along when you get to this point in the season and you're undefeated, you're doing a lot of things right. You know, you're surviving the bad games, you're you know you're you're winning the games you need to win and that's what they did last week. And so, I mean, it's it's got Penn State kind of on the edge of, you know, of, of being, you know, I mean, and, and, and it's got them on the edge of not being in the playoffs. And it's got Minnesota on the edge of, of maybe getting in there if everything kind of falls their way and they can somehow, you know, run the table here. So really interesting to see. That was just an, an interesting game all last week by, without, a, you know, you know any discussion. I thought, I thought it was just a really good game for them. Second most interesting game was Wisconsin eliminating Iowa from title contention in terms of the Big Ten. 10 West because that was a West title elimination game. And then maybe mm-hmm. the biggest surprise, Illinois defying the odds makers, coming from its biggest deficit in school history and beating Michigan State 37 to 34 in East Lansing. Yeah, again, you know, I, I mean, that, that game was, I mean, I remember watching, you know, I saw the score, you know, before the fourth quarter. And I mean, Michigan State was rolling and you figured, okay, everybody got that one right. And all of a sudden after the game, somebody says Illinois came back and won and you looked at their fourth quarter number 
numbers and uh, an unbelievable comeback. And again, teams teams are getting you know those kind of teams get confidence this time of year, and and for them to come back, get a road win like that against a, a decent Michigan State team. I mean, it's a team that's really kind of fallen apart here in the last couple of weeks, but I mean, it still was it still is a team with talent. And again, like I said, a road game, and they go in there and win. You know, a big win for Illinois, and, and it's got them in position now to to be kind of you know maybe a scary team that you don't want to see here in the last couple of weeks. Let's talk this Saturday's game. You have four 11 a.m. starts um, with a couple of exceptions. Most of these games have some intrigue to them. First up on Fox, Michigan State at Michigan. Yeah, Michigan's a 13 and a half point favorite. Really interesting over under of just 44. I guess they think it's gonna be a little, it's gonna be a really cold day in Ann Arbor. It's not even gonna get above freezing. You know, again, a rivalry game. These these things you never know how they're gonna do. It. Michigan State, like I said, that game last week may have really sent them in. You know, I mean, they were already kind of falling backwards and, and to, to waste a game like that really kind of set them back. I, I think I think the Wolverines covering this one. I thought the over under was a little bit low. I think I think the Wolverines put up a lot of points and I think they, they go over that. Next on BTN, Wisconsin at Nebraska. Nebraska desperately trying to become bowl eligible. Mm-hmm, yeah, and I mean and, and the Badgers trying trying to hang with, you know, behind Minnesota and, and have a chance, you know, as they get in the last couple of weeks of the season of, of, of maybe, you know, sneaking back in and winning that West Division title. They're gonna have to win on the road. You know, against the Nebraska team, like you said, that that's that's got that's you know, kind of teetering on that edge of not playing anywhere in the postseason. And they're four and five right now. Wisconsin, fourteen and a half point favorites. I thought that was a little bit high, over under fifty one. So I think they they think both teams are going to put up some points here. I, Wisconsin's running game is just so good, and I mean Jonathan Taylor showed that against a really good Iowa defense last week. He's going to have a field day against the Nebraska defense like that. I I think the under in this one, but I think Wisconsin covers. Odd game for this time of the season and one that I'm assuming without knowing the numbers that the Wildcats <laughs> will be favored but UMass at Northwestern also on BTN. Combined record of those two teams is 2-17. and 17. Northwestern 40 and a half point favorite at home uh, over under 56 and a half. That's just one of those games that, that I mean UMass is just so horrible and and Northwestern yeah I mean I, I don't know if they get to 40 and a half and I'm not so sure it gets to the, to the 56 and a half. I think I, I I think, you know, you, you don't want to bet on UMass in a situation like that, but I just can't see Northwestern putting up a lot of points in that game. I could see it being like 35 nothing or something like that. Nothing, you know, like I said, an interesting line, but I, as bad as Northwestern's been, to be that much of a favorite just shows just really how awful UMass is. So the odds makers are picking Northwestern to win its second game of the season, and they're the defending yes. Big Ten West champions. Wow. Yep, boy, that thing fell apart. So last 11 a.m. game on Saturday, Indiana at Penn State. I think that's kind of an intriguing game. There's a lot of storylines there that how this might play out. Yeah, I mean, you know, you look at Indiana at seven and two. I mean, we we've been talking all year. You know, you you, you start doing the the bowl projections and all that. If they can get a win on Saturday and you get to eight wins and maybe get one more, and then now you're at nine, you're probably playing in a pretty good bowl game. I mean, I I, I think that's you know, a little bit of motivation for them right now. Uh, Penn State's a 14 and a half point favorite uh, over under 54 and a half. I think it probably goes above that a little bit. Penn State's defense is really good. I think it's going to give Indiana a lot of trouble. Uh, I think that I think the Nittany Lions cover and I, I'm not so sure about if it goes over or not, but I, I think it, it's going to be close. 2.30 p.m. kick on BTN, Ohio State <laughs> <laughs> at Rutgers. 
Uh, Buckeyes, 52-point favorites. Over-under of 61, so I think they're saying Ohio State's going to win 52-10, to 10, which I can't see Rutgers scoring that many points against them. Yeah, I, that's, that's, that game's going to be brutal. I mean, if, if you're Ohio State, you look at your starters and you pretty much tell them, okay, just make it so all you guys play is a half, and then, and then we rest up for the last couple of games of the season. But uh, that's a pretty high line for Ohio State. And then, I mean, you start to think that maybe it gets to a point where they call off the dogs, but then again, their third string might be able to put up a lot of points on Rutgers. So um, interesting lines. Like I said, 52 is the, is the line, and they over under 61. I don't pay a lot of attention to those numbers until we talk, but I do recall <laughs> seeing a tweet on Wednesday that said, I think I have these numbers right. If you bet five bucks on Rutgers to win, you could win $10,000. It's, I, I think, I, if I remember right, it, when I, when I looked at the lines, day, I'm not so sure there was a money line on the game in the one I saw, just because, I mean, they're just, the, the money line for both teams would be, I mean, if you bet on Ohio State, you wouldn't win any money. And if you bet on Rutgers, you'd win a lot of money. So I didn't even see a money line out, which is fascinating, but I'm sure there are some places that have it. And, and I mean, that, that's a pretty big money line all the way around. Somebody out there will throw five bucks at it. I mean, I'm, I might even do it. It's, you know, it's like buying a lottery ticket. What's five dollars? So anyway. All right. The game hogs everywhere care about. Floyd or Rosedale at stake. It's kind of resting comfortably in Iowa City and has been for quite a while. Undefeated Minnesota at Iowa. Gophers run the table like uh, we were discussing earlier. They may very well end up in the playoffs. The Hawkeyes playing the role of spoiler. 3 p.m. kick on Fox. And and I think, I, and you know, Iowa has done this, did this in 2016 with Michigan, 2017 with Ohio State, November, you know, when, once the pressure's kind of off them, they can, and, and that's kind of what the players talked about on Tuesday. So, I mean, they've kind of played the spoiler in the past, and I think Vegas sees that. I mean, Iowa's a three-point favorite, which I found interesting, and the over-under is 44 and a half, so they're saying that's a game that's, that's going to be in the low 20s, and I, I find that a little bit, I, I, I think Michigan, you know, I think that that's say, somebody saying that, that Minnesota's going to have a hard time with Iowa's defense. I I, I think I, I might, I, you know, I've been picking the Hawkeyes every week, and that's why I'm 6-3 and three right now, um, but I, I, I think they get this game. I think Iowa gets this game. I think it'll be close. I think maybe they barely cover, but I think it'll be close, and I think they get this one just but just because, I mean, I think there, there, there isn't anything left for them to play for other than a really good bowl game, and they know they have a chance to spoil somebody's undefeated season, and, and you know, but then again, Minnesota just has that feel of that, that destiny team that has everything kind of fall their way, and if it falls that way on Saturday and they come out of there with a win, you know, I mean, they're, they're, they're lined up pretty well to get to, get to Indianapolis, so like I said, Iowa three-point favorite, 44 and a half over under. You know, I I, I don't think I'm going to, I just don't have a feeling on what you would do in the line, but I think maybe it goes over, but just barely. Got a score in mind? I'm going to say, uh, and, 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 and this will be a push, I'm going to say Iowa 23-20. <laughs> Second down and eight for Wisconsin from their 41. That's picked off. That's Matt Hankins. The Hawkeyes are in business. Tim, it's all about where the eyes have come. There was no imminent pressure there. That ball was just going low and outside. Hankins was there just to scoop it up. It was zone coverage. If it's thrown anywhere other than on the numbers, you're in danger. Coach has got to find a way to get his team in the end zone now. That's just the third interception thrown by Cohn all season long.
Time now to hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First, Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz, who gives his overview of this year's undefeated Minnesota team. Minnesota comes in here 9-0, and uh, and that that's hard to do, really hard to do, so uh, they deserve a lot of credit that for that, certainly. Top 10 ranked team and, and certainly deserving of that, too. They've, they've earned it, playing well in all three areas, and that, that's uh, where our attention is right now. They're a, a big physical football team, especially on the offensive front. Uh, got a huge offensive line. Uh, I've got good receivers. They had good receivers a year ago. All those guys were fairly young at that point, and they're still you know, a very dangerous group, big play guys, throw the ball down the field well and all that, and uh, they've got three running backs that really do a good job running the football and then uh, the quarterbacks really played well for him this year I think his statistics speak to that and I think probably the biggest impression defensively they're they're uh, you know really comfortable with their system they've got a system that's uh, tested and true you know they believe in it and they play it extremely well play play very uh, hard and on defense and they're very fundamentally sound so certainly make you work and uh, they're coming off a really big win uh, against a very good football team and I think that the overriding uh, impression is the big thing they're, they're not going to beat themselves they play smart football uh, uh, they're playing really good football, and uh, you know, so if you're going to beat them, you're going to have to really earn it. And for us, that's going to require us to play well in all three areas. Certainly, play as well as we have all season long to have a chance to pull this off. Kirk was asked about the Gophers' starting quarterback, Tanner Morgan. First thing, the statistics, I think it's 21 touchdowns, four picks, I believe. So uh, that, that's a really good indicator that uh, not only he's being productive, but he's being smart with what he's doing. And I think that's probably the biggest thing right now. They they, they don't beat themselves. A big part of that's the quarterback play. He's really done a good job. Uh, he's a young player, but he's not playing like a young player, and that, that's really impressive. And they've, they've got good guys to throw it to, too, and that puts a lot of pressure on you. They've got a good run game and good pass game, so it's uh, they're very balanced that way. Minnesota has had a lot of big plays this season. Fair was asked if that is a product of their offensive scheme or more by yards after the catch. A little bit of each, but uh, you know we had great respect for the receivers last year. I thought they were one of the better better groups in the Big Ten, if not the best, a year ago. And uh, you know one guy's a little bit more veteran than the other guy. Those two guys stood out, but the third guy's really good also. So now it's a year later, and year plus we played them earlier, and uh, they're just they're continuing to grow. They're really all excellent receivers, and you know so they they can take take balls and run with them, but they also will throw the ball deep and do it successfully. You know they do a good job. Kirk was asked about the play and the development of his young wide receiver Tyrone Tracy. It's it's you know it's a good illustration. He'll be a guy I'll be talking about in the future uh, with young players. It's just a you know a guy that had the door open a little wider. He was playing already, but more more reps were incumbent to him just because of the situation. And uh, he not only you know took advantage of that, but he really helped our football team. So it's a good example of a, of a young guy who's you know second year, first year playing, who's really worked hard, uh, has continued to improve, and then when the door opened for him, he jumped in there and tried to make a difference for us. So I think it's it's a great great story and a great way you know a player for guys younger players especially in a model and we got a lot of young guys and if they're smart they learn from guys that are doing good things like that and Tyron's got a great attitude on top of it you know so when you're out there in the field with him you just feel a, a real good energy from him. And Ference was asked if the circumstances under which this rivalry game is being played this season not just the trophy on the line but the fact that the Gophers are undefeated and sit atop the Big Ten West combines to motivate the Hawkeyes even more than usual. 
You'd have to ask our players, but I think, you know, I think anytime you play a ranked team, it gets your attention. And, you know, I'm not minimizing September, but September rankings really are kind of speculative. Uh, now, now you're in November. So rankings, I do think, are a little bit more significant now. And we have a little better idea who's who, what's what. And um, so, yeah, I think certainly it gets your attention. It's To me, their ranking matches their record, and their record matches who they are and what they've done on the field, most importantly. So all I know is they're 9-0, all right? They're 9-0, and they look like a top-10 team. So, yeah, I think certainly I'd get your attention if you're smart you know you got to take note of that next we hear from minnesota head coach pj fleck who was asked if he considers his gophers an elite talented team this year or one that's just making the best of what it has uh, i think it's an elite team Right. Uh, there was a thing I thought I saw on the other day uh, uh, my GM, Garrett Chernoff, sent to me in terms of recruiting. took the top ten teams in the country, and they talked about the four-star and five-star athletes on every one of those teams. I think we had five, and we're a top ten team. And that means everybody else is three stars, two stars, no stars, whatever it is. But it's an elite team because they put their individual uh, accomplishments, individual needs aside for everybody else. And they do it at an elite level. They don't just do it in a very uh, coach-speak way. Or they don't do it and just, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll say we're going to do that, but I really care about just me. They really love each other. They really sacrifice for each other. And when you've got everybody rowing the boat in the same direction, same speed, same efficiency, all believing in one vision, it's a powerful force no matter what that is. And not even just football, in any sport. And I think that's what this team does. And they constantly change their best every single day. They constantly compete with their self, not necessarily against someone else, but with their self to be a better individual today than they were yesterday, academically, athletically, socially, and spiritually. And I think that's, that's powerful. When you start making it bigger than yourself and doing things for other people. The greatest thing when you talk to our players is that they were on the same page as I was. How cool of an environment was that? How cool is that for the state of Minnesota? How cool is that for our alum? It wasn't about them. They know that they're putting things in place that are going to be remembered for a long time, but they're still going through it. And we have a long way to go till the end of it where they can actually enjoy it. Minnesota's turnover margins on both offense and defense have dramatically improved this season. Fleck was asked why. You can say it till your face is blue. It doesn't matter until the players buy in. I got a text from a friend of those 600 text messages. And, um, and he showed the turnover margin, right, where we were ranked at Western Michigan when we first got there. We were like 100 and something. And then in the 13-0 and season, 13-1 season, we were number one in the country in turnover margin. It was the maturity of the football team to realize how important that is. It isn't just you say it and they believe it. They've got to fail. They've got to fail. They've got to fail. And then they fail enough times where they finally grow up. It's like touching the hot stove. And then here at Minnesota, I think our first year we were like 100, and then year, last year we were 89th, and now we're 13th. There's nothing by coincidence. You take care of the football, right? You have explosive plays. You limit explosive plays. You tackle well and you break tackles. You're going to win a lot of football games. That's what that 78% is for. So we have done all we can up to this point. Now we've got to even be better at teaching our players how to win games. How are games won, not how are games lost less. Right. And that's what we want them to be able to understand. And, you know, when they're coaching their kids one day and I always joke around with them, you know, and we got three guys back there right now with little Winston's are running around or little Antoine Winfield juniors around who are already been offered, by the way, um, or little Tanner Morgan's, uh, you know, it's 
We want them to be able to teach their kids when they're coaching their teams of how to go win the game. And it's very educational, and our program's educational. It's not just about the X's and O's. It's education within the X's and O's, situational football, getting them to understand football, the game, a lot better through coaches' eyes, through winning eyes, and obviously better player eyes. And P.J. Fleck was asked about Iowa's defense this year, especially on the heels of his team's success against another very good defense, Penn State, last Saturday. Well, first of all, their defense is tremendous. A lot of respect for what they do. Iowa plays Iowa football, right? And that's that cultural sustainability over a long period of time. And I think if I sit there and say Iowa plays Iowa football, you probably all know what I'm talking about. They're going to run the ball efficiently. They take care of the football. They don't beat themselves. Defensively, they're going to tackle. They're going to keep everything in front, limit explosive plays, and you know what they're going to do, right? They, they've ran a lot of the same coverages for the last decade, right? But they do it so well. And whoever they put in the game is expected to perform at the same level as the first guy that was in there. And they're very consistent. They don't beat themselves. They're not penalized very often. And they just play really good football. And that's a credit to their staff, and credit to their, their culture and their tradition of what they've been able to establish there. But they are a very, very sound defense. They are always where they're supposed to be, when they're supposed to be there. And they make you put long drives together. <laughs> Visit HawkeyesMike.com and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts, and you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Medium and Twitter. Another tough loss. Bitter pill against a ranked team that they so desperately wanted to finally beat these Hawkeyes, but they'll get their shot at Minnesota real soon. And uh, their, their number one fans will be Wisconsin. The Heartland Trophy will be retained here in Madison, Wisconsin. 24 to 22. Spencer, this is what gets lost in today's college football world. These trophies, what this game means, and in this area, you could tell this game may have lacked some national attention, but it certainly mattered to the people here. Time now for our reporter's notebook feature this week with Steve Batterson. You can read Steve's articles in the Quad City Times and online at qctimes.com. You can also follow Steve on Twitter at sbat79. Steve reflects on the loss at Wisconsin and he previews the matchups in this Saturday's game, Iowa hosting Minnesota for Floyd of Rosedale. Steve, it's Iowa-Minnesota week, Floyd of Rosedale at stake, an undefeated Golden Gophers team coming into Kinnick, Iowa trying to rebound from the loss at Wisconsin and play the role of the spoiler. But before we get there, let's take one last look, your reflections on Iowa's frustrating 24-22 loss at Wisconsin. The offense for the Hawkeyes finally came alive in the fourth quarter. Before that, it was problematical, but maybe the bigger story coming out of that game was how Iowa's defense got gashed on the ground by Jonathan Taylor and company. Yeah, certainly 250 yards rushing by one back is, is not what uh, the Iowa game plan involved uh, for the Badgers. And you know, the other thing that was talked about in great deal last week was uh, the need for a fast start. And, and uh, while Iowa led 3 nothing after the first quarter, it was anything but a fast start for the Hawkeyes. And, uh, you know, that, that combination uh, proved 
pretty problematic. Uh, you know, and, and a nice effort in the fourth quarter to kind of get back in the game. Iowa was able to kind of use some tempo to uh, to kind of up the uh, the uh, pace a little bit and, and found some success through the air that way. But, uh, you know, playing from behind, that's a tough thing to do. And, and when you can't get the ball out of the hands of the opponent, which was the issue all afternoon, uh, it, that it's going to be a long day. And, you know, I think Iowa was very fortunate to have a chance to, to tie the game on, on that, uh, uh, you know, the two-point conversion on the draw play that Nate Stanley wasn't able to quite finish. And, but uh, then once they gave the ball back to the Badgers, Wisconsin never gave it back. And, and uh, you know, that, that uh, you know, created a, a 24-22 loss that, uh, you know, for for you know, all but mathematical purposes, probably ended Iowa's hopes of, of, of working their way to Indianapolis and, and the Big Ten championship game. Uh, being three games back of, of uh, the division leader at this point is a, with three to go is, is a pretty tough road to hope. Yeah, Iowa even trails Illinois right now in the Big Ten West standings. So let's talk about Iowa hosting the Gophers. Iowa's offense versus Minnesota's defense. As I mentioned earlier, you finally saw a real spark when the Hawkeyes went hurry up and in the fourth quarter, played with a sense of urgency. And, you know, it remains to be seen whether they learned anything from that approach versus the slogging approach we've seen most of this season where they rack up a decent amount of offensive yards but can't score touchdowns. One reason Keith Duncan is tied for the lead and made field goals. Thank goodness he is, or else where would the season be at this point? But, uh, you know, it's certainly, uh, you know, it's been a, a point of frustration all season long. And, you know, when, when you have uh, an offense that uh, can drive into the red zone, you've got to find ways to finish plays, and that just simply hasn't happened for the Hawkeyes. And it's, it's been kind of a uh, you know a season-long issue: uh, 22 uh, touchdowns and, and an equal number of uh, field goals. Is it's a tough way to play, especially when you get into situations against good defenses. And you know, I was certainly their three losses are to are to three very solid football teams, all ranked and by a combined total of 14 points, and and. and that's where those little details, you know, kind of come into play. And, you know, one of the things we've heard about again this week is the need to get off to a faster start. And and, and that works on both sides of the ball. But the defense needs to find a way to, you know, to create more of those three and outs that they've done a decent job with in most games, but uh, certainly was an issue last week. But, you know, offensively, you know, you've got to think that Iowa's going to continue to do what Iowa typically has done, and that's try to establish the run. It's been a bit of a a struggle at times, but, uh, uh, you know, they're going to have to get something, whether be out of Sergeant Young or, or, or Goodson, somebody's going to have to step up and, and find a way to help Iowa move the change and at least create those third and, sh- and short situations that can be a little more manageable and, and uh, you know, lead to lead certainly to, to a better rate of, of third down conversions. You know, Iowa was one of nine against the Badgers last weekend on third down, and, and uh, that's, a, that's a tough way to to make a difference offensively. As you mentioned, Iowa's only scored 22 touchdowns all season long. The Minnesota defense has given up 19. Iowa's averaging 24.1 points per game. The Gophers yielding 20.7. And in terms of total offense, that's respectable, as is the possession time for the Hawkeyes, 381.8. And Minnesota's defense is giving up about 310 yards. So looking at Minnesota's defense, and, you know, every week when we prep for the 
these conversations, you go down and usually pick out four or five, maybe six uh, defensive leaders for the opposing team to talk about. And I've already highlighted nine on my list this week for the Gophers. Minnesota's a, a team that has a lot of individuals with, with a decent amount of talent, and they've all been pretty productive this year. You know, they, they, they've got, uh, when you look at them, you, you take a look at an Antoine Winfield who, who jumps off the page as the, you know, the co-Big Ten defensive player of the week. He's intercepted seven passes, and not just intercepted them, he's returned them for 111 yards as well, including a couple of touchdowns. And so, you know, there, there's some ability there to, to create some, some havoc on the back end of the defense. And that certainly seems to be where the, the, the strength of this group is. And, uh, you know, when you look at them as a team, 14 interceptions through uh, through nine games tells you they're pretty opportunistic. And, and when they do, uh, you know, have a chance to uh, to return it, they do. I think they have three uh, uh, picks that have been returned for touchdowns this season. And it's certainly, uh, it's a group that has some familiar names. And, and uh, some of that is experience. Some of that has been created by injuries earlier in guys' career. You know, Winfield is a, is a, a fourth-year sophomore, which uh, a, a very unusual situation, but it's been created by a couple of injuries that have, have uh, put him in a position to end up being a six-year player eventually at, uh, with, at Minnesota. The Gophers have 42 tackles for loss, 21 sacks. That's a total of 63. That's very impressive. And then you already mentioned their interceptions. They also seem to have a real solid couple of linebackers again in Martin and Barber. Yeah, absolutely. You know, those guys have combined for 91 tackles. They've, uh, you know, they're, they're guys that have uh, kind of set a tone in, in the middle of that defense. And, you know, this is a Minnesota defense that, uh, you know, probably has improved uh, as much as, as uh, any anyone in the Big Ten over maybe where they've been in the past. And, and uh, you know, to combine that with what their gains that they've made on offense, it, it's been a pretty, uh, a pretty complimentary type situation. Iowa players talk a lot about playing complimentary football. Minnesota is a team that uh, has been able to do that. They've been in a lot of close games, and these guys have stepped up in those close games and kind of found ways for, for the Gophers to kind of finish things off. They blitz from different places on the field, and I think it's interesting. We had a long discussion with Scott Docterman last week's show about Iowa's defense in terms of the sack numbers themselves, not really telling the whole story about how good Iowa's defense has been, but they lack in sacks they make up for in quarterback hurries. For example, the 21 sacks Minnesota has, they only have four quarterback hurries. That's I think that's kind of an interesting stat. Yeah, and, you know, and, and they've been coming at people from a lot of directions. There are 11 different golfers that have at least a, an assist on a sack this season. Um, 18 have a tackle for a loss. So it, it, it's been a collaborative effort, and, and uh, you know, that's something that I was going to have to be aware of. It's it's uh, not going to be, you know, necessarily just those guys on the, on the end of that defensive line that are going to be uh, chasing down the quarterback. They're going to come at you from all different directions. The Hawkeyes have given up 19 sacks. Let's just stick with the sack stat for a while. And, you know, you saw Nate Stanley getting pummeled again last week in Madison. Uh, on the other hand, Nate's season stats are still very solid. 60.7% completion rate. He's passed for 2,158 yards and 12 touchdowns. And he's averaging 239.8 passing yards per game. Moved last week past Ricky Stanzi on the on, on the Iowa career list. You know, continues to kind of work his way up there. Um, yeah, he, he's he's working behind an offensive line that continues to to have all of these moving parts. And it, it sounds like Iowa may 
to be sending out its seventh uh, collection of, 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 of a front five uh, in, in 10 games this weekend. And that, that's, uh, you know, it, it hasn't led to the type of consistency which uh, would make uh, many quarterbacks comfortable back there. But I, And I think that's probably where Iowa maybe uh, helps itself a little bit with a veteran back there as he can kind of counter some of some of the pressure that uh, he's having to deal with. But, uh, you know, uh, ultimately he's, he's taking a sack or two for the team along the way. And, um, you know, some consistency up front would certainly help not only uh, Stanley, but it certainly would help Iowa's rushing attack as well. Now, Kirk said Tuesday at his press conference, he thought Kyler Schott did a good job in his return from injury. But the big problem in terms of the offensive line is still the two guard positions. There's just been too many breakdowns. It's been a, it's been a revolving door. And, and some of that just has to do with the fact that, that you've had different players out there and they never really seem to have much of a chance to, to kind of settle in and, and, you know, develop that cohesion and consistency that, that really good offensive lines seem to have. And, uh, you know, while, you know, they may play well for a, a few stretches during games, you know, there, there will be a breakdown or two. And, and, and that's, um, you know, that's led to some of the issues that Iowa's had. And, you know, and, fr- and frankly, that's led to some of the scoring issues. It's, it's put them, uh, you know, rather than sitting there at, at third and two, all of a sudden you're third and 11. And, uh, you know, the, 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 you know, the dynamics have, have changed a great deal at that point. So uh, it's a, uh, it's a situation that, uh, you know, only time is going to cure. And, you know, hopefully the seventh uh, offensive line combination might be the last offensive line combination for Iowa this year. I, I think that would be a welcome situation because that would mean that there's been some growth and that the guys who are out there now are actually stayed healthy, which has been uh, you know, kind of a problem off and on all season. In terms of Iowa's receivers, they will still be without Brandon Smith on Saturday, although Kirk said he's back and practicing a bit. But uh, Tyrone Tracy connected with Nate Stanley last weekend for a career game receiving. Yeah, 130 yards, the first uh, Iowa receiver to have that many in a, in a game uh, since a tight end uh, accomplished that. Jake Ducey at, at Ohio State back in 2013. And, and the first receiver to have uh, that many yards uh, since Marvin McNutt did it in a, in 2011 in a game against Minnesota. So, you know, it, it, Tracy over the past two games has, has shown, uh, you know, what we've seen hints of uh, uh, from uh, from time to time. And, and, and he certainly, uh, you know, had some um, electric ability and, and the ability to make guys miss once he's caught the ball. And uh, he's got a nose for open ground. And, and uh, you know, I, I think that the trust that uh, Nate Stanley is gaining in him um, with the experience that, uh, that Tracy's picked up in these past couple of games, I think is only going to uh, help Iowa moving forward, and I think he's going to be a, a solid part of that Hawkeye uh, pass game from from here on out. He's a kid that can, can step in at a, any of the three positions and and, uh, and help, and not all of Iowa's uh, not all of Iowa's receivers can do that, but uh, um, you know he's shown that ability, and uh, you know onward and upward with with Tyron Tracy, he's a guy I think we're going to be talking about for a couple of years. And Amir Smith Marset continues to impress, especially in uh, Smith's absence. Yeah, you know, and, and that's what it's, uh, you know, it's that next man in. And, and uh, you know, with, with Iowa not getting a, a ton of help from, from guys who, you know, maybe weren't with the program a year ago, um, you, you need that. Uh, you know, Regain continues to be a fairly consistent contributor. Uh, Smith-Marset is, uh, you know, has 33 catches on the year now. Uh, both of those guys have, have caught up to Brandon Smith's total uh, for what he contributed before suffering that injury and missed 
missing the last two games. So, uh, you know, those guys are all, they're both going to be pretty uh, important components uh, uh, to helping Iowa kind of move the football against, uh, you know, Minnesota defense that has been, uh, you know, has given up a few points along the way, but uh, certainly has been, uh, uh, you know, will present its own set of challenges. Iowa's rushing for 139.2 yards per game. They're still employing the trio of running backs. Does that make sense really anymore? Is it, I mean, it's obviously hard for any one running back to get much of a rhythm in a game the way they substitute there. I think more and more people are wondering if this is the right choice. I, I think one of the things that we that came up on Tuesday uh, and was, that I found really interesting was Mackay Sargent said that the best, biggest thing that the Iowa running backs could do at this point would be to, to make some plays, to gain the trust of the coaches, to actually call more running plays. And uh, that tells you kind of where things are at right now with this group. And uh, they have not been overly productive, uh, particularly against some of the, the, you know, the saltier defenses that Iowa has faced. And, um, you know, the inability to kind of uh, break away and make make a gain, you know, and, and even make a gain that, you know, just does something to put Iowa in, in a favorable position to move the chain. That's been a struggle the last couple of weeks. And nobody, we saw last week Torn Young get the bulk of the carries early. Got off to an okay start, nothing too spectacular. And then, uh, you know, Goodson and, and, and Sargent kind of blended in a little later on. But, uh, you know, it, it has been a struggle the past uh past month, really, for, for Iowa to get much going on the ground. And, um, you know, some energy there would certainly help the offense as a whole. Yeah, I, I think that when you take a look at, at the three backs, none of them seem to be finding a rhythm. But I, I think they've done what they can to try. We saw this with Young last, uh, to, to put him in a position to, to maybe get a little flow going, and it, it just wasn't there. Wisconsin certainly had a lot to do with that, but uh, it, it's been a, it's been tough sledding for those guys. So who has the edge in this match? Matchup: Iowa's offense, Minnesota's defense. You know, I, I think Iowa's offense has been fairly productive. Um, I, I think that uh, probably that uh, um, Iowa should be able to move the football uh, against Minnesota. Uh, they, they've shown that they can give up a yard or two along the way, and, I, and I, I, I would expect that we will see a fairly energized Iowa offensive approach. They're pretty excited to be back at Kinnick. There's another trophy on the line, and not unlike Wisconsin last week. Uh, you know, coming off of a tough loss. I think, uh, you know, Minnesota's going to get Iowa's best shot Saturday. All right, let's turn to the matchup between Iowa's defense and Minnesota's offense. The Gophers are averaging 37.6 points per game. They're racking up nearly 433 yards of total offense. And then you have Iowa's defense, which for the most part continues to be among the elite in the country, despite what happened up in Madison last weekend, giving up just 11.7 points per game and a total offense of 289 yards per game. I, I think we've been talking about some of these Minnesota offensive guys for about eight years now. Uh, it, it feels like, you know, and, and that experience is one of the reasons that this team is, is having some success. They've got a, you know, a sophomore quarterback who kind of won the job by default, but, uh, you know, he's surrounded by some, some individual talent at the skill positions that, uh, you know, certainly has been around forever. And, uh, um, you know, there's a cohesion there that uh, certainly I think that, um, you know, has been very 
effective for Minnesota. Um, you know, they've they've uh, they've scored at least 28 points in every game they've played this year. And of course, Iowa hasn't given up more than 24 in any game it's played. So, uh, you know, something has to give a little bit this week. You would you would think, uh, but uh, it certainly um, you know in Tanner Morgan, uh, Minnesota found a quarterback. It was supposed to be a competition into the into fall camp, but an injury kind of left him with the job. And and uh, to his credit, you know, he, he took it and 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 ran with it. Um, you know, he's he's uh, he had a few starts a year ago as well, and he's 13 and two as a starter uh, for the Gophers. And and you know, they've won 11 straight games going back to last season. So you know, this is a, a team that's used to success. Morgan's averaging 233 plus yards per game passing, completing 68 percent of the passes, 21 touchdown passes. You look at his receiving core. You were mentioning that some of their offensive players seem like they've been around for a long time. Their tight end this year has not that been that involved in terms of productivity, but they've got three solid wide receivers and two really good ones in Tyler Johnson and Rashad Bateman. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Johnson's a kid who's who's got over uh, 2,700 career receiving yards for Minnesota. He's caught 50 passes this season. You know, he's averaging 14 and change per reception. And Bateman, you know, 38 catches and, and 22.3 yards a catch. And, you know, both of those guys are, are, are big play potential guys. And, and if you look down at what they've done, they've had, they've had around 13 touchdowns of, uh, as a team of, of 20 yards or more in terms of, of uh, putting the ball in the air. And, and uh, it's something that I was going to have to be aware of. I mean, they're effective in the short passing game, and that's one of the reasons that Morgan's got that nearly 68% completion percentage, but they can also throw deep on you, and, uh, you know, they're, they're going to test the Iowa secondary, and and, uh, and the thing of it is is that they can come at you from a lot of different ways with a lot of different guys, and so it, it's going to be an interesting matchup, and, and uh, yeah, it, certainly their, their passing game with Johnson and Bateman and, and uh, Ottman Bell, another kid that is worthy of taking a you know, a pretty good look at those guys are, are, uh, they've helped Minnesota get to where they're at right now. In terms of rushing, Rodney Smith is their leading rusher. He's averaging just shy of 105 yards a game. He's scored seven touchdowns, but they've got two other running backs that are pretty solid too. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Smith's one of those guys who, who's been injured and, and is a fifth year senior now. And as is Shannon Brooks, another guy that seems like he's been around forever too. And, uh, you know, and Muhammad Abraham, him is is a, a kid who stepped in as a youngster last year and and uh, kind of helped them out later when those other two guys were were dealing with some injuries and what they've got now is they've got three very effective backs uh, you know Smith is is one of three backs in the Big Ten who's averaging over a hundred yards a game but uh, uh, you know those other two uh, uh, Brooks and and Ibrahim, uh both uh, you know both are you you put them together they're around a hundred yards as well so you know it's an offense that uh, is been pretty uh, uh, kind of a well-oiled machine and, and uh, teams have really struggled to kind of figure out how to slow them down including the Penn State team that they uh, they got off to a solid lead against uh, a week ago. Other interesting factoid in terms of rushing for the Gophers is that wide receiver Seth Green has 21 attempts and he scored five touchdowns even though he only averages about seven yards a game rushing. Yeah uh, you know he's he, he's a guy that they've, they've dropped in on occasion that's uh, been effective 
effective. And, and we saw Seth on the field, uh, I believe it was last year as well, that, uh, um, you know, he's a guy that they, they don't hesitate to put the ball in the hands uh, of uh, when, when it's uh, close. And, and uh, he's one of those guys that, uh, you know, only adds to the, the mix of things that you kind of have to prepare for when you're preparing for Minnesota. Yeah, the other thing that stands out is Minnesota's balanced attack in terms of touchdowns. 22 rushing touchdowns, 21 passing touchdowns. That's 43. I mean, compare that to Iowa's 10 and 12, respectively, for a total of 22 all season long. So You know, and just the total number. I mean, they're almost double where Iowa is at. And, I mean, this is an offense that uh, has been pretty explosive, and it's it's been uh, filled with big plays from, from start to finish so far this season. And that's something that Iowa has been very stingy in terms of giving those up, and they're going to uh, be challenged again. Uh, you know, they gave up their first two 20-plus yard rushes last week to Jonathan Taylor of, of, of the season. So it's uh, another test for, for the Hawkeye defense. In terms of Iowa's defense, it appears they're going to be without Christian Welch again. O.J. Mudia was nicked up in the game against the Badgers. But overall, they seem to be fairly healthy, and there's a lot of bodies back there now in the defensive secondary that they didn't have earlier in the season. Uh, and you look again at numbers, like I mentioned earlier, it's not just the sacks. You look at the quarterback hurries, and you look at the tackles for loss. And those numbers are still pretty impressive for Iowa. And it's, it's a defense that is almost emerged as like they're really great as a team defense, even though they don't have a lot of super outstanding numbers on individually. And, you know, A.J. Epinesa, as we've talked about all season long, is a perfect example of that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, four and a half sacks, uh, uh, probably not what anybody expected from him heading into the season. But yeah, you're right. It has been a good collective effort. Uh, it's certainly been a defense that's kind of had to adjust to, to missing pieces throughout the course of the season, but they seem to play pretty well together. And that's a credit to Phil Parker and the staff to, to kind of keep things moving forward despite the challenges they've been presented with. And, you know, if there's a good time to be healthy in the secondary, this is probably a pretty good week for it. And, and it appears that uh, at least on the back end of the defense, Iowa should be fairly solid uh, in terms of uh, bodies. And, and uh, you know, this may be a week that you might see a little more of the cash uh, position used. An extra defensive back may come in handy against Minnesota, but uh, you, you certainly have to respect them on the ground as well. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how, how things are kind of blended that way. And my guess is we'll probably see a little bit of a blend with uh, personnel groups kind of shifting a little bit based on down and distance and that type of thing. But uh, yeah, you're right. This is not, uh, if you had to sit down today and, and, and build a case for, for all Big Ten uh, Hawkeyes on defense, it, it would be a challenge uh, because of, at least from a first team perspective, because the statistics, um, you know, they show a, a ton of balance. Uh, you've got a guy like Epinesa who is still, you know, he, he's still a focal point of a lot of what a lot of people are, are dealing with when they're scheming to, to compete against Iowa's defense. And, and uh, you know, he's going to get some respect from, from the voters just because of his abilities and, and his reputation. But, uh, you know, on, on the flip side of it, uh, you know, Chauncey Golston's had a had a nice season and, uh, you know, he's going to get some looks as well. And, and, and we've seen, you know, on occasion, uh, you know, uh, Davion Nixon has, has splashed a little bit. Uh, uh, Cedric Lattimore has had his moments too up front as well so it's the kind of defense that almost mirrors the, the Minnesota offense in, in that they can come at you from a lot of different directions and, you know with a couple of young guys in the middle at linebacker uh, we saw both uh, Dylan Doyle and Jack Campbell in the lineup last week at 
at Madison. Um, you know, this is a, a defense with a lot of pieces, and, and they haven't been, um, you know, they've been comfortable mixing and matching and using them as needed. There weren't that many players from Iowa that showed up for the Tuesday media interactions this week, but do you have a sense from talking with the ones that did in terms of the loss at Wisconsin? That was really one of the most physical games I think we've seen all year. There was some real hard hitting going on out there, and some of Iowa's defenders getting knocked backwards by John and Taylor, among others, do you have a sense from what they were saying that they want to, you know, sort of make up for what they gave up in Madison? I think there was a little embarrassment there. Uh, you know, I think they've they've prided themselves on on uh, on what they had accomplished up to that point, and and uh, you know, uh, you know, the Iowa defense is predicated on on that three and out belief, and and they weren't able to to do that. Uh, very effectively against uh, Wisconsin, and and certainly, uh, you know, when when you've been burnt for for 250 yards by one back and 300 yards on the ground, these guys are taking it personally. And uh, uh, Geno Stone mentioned that you know it had been a pretty aggressive first couple of days back on the practice field this week. And my my suspicion is, you know, the Hawkeyes are going to try to take out their frustration a little bit on the Gophers. So in this matchup, who has the edge? Iowa's defense versus Minnesota's offense. Yeah, I think. The this is an, another situation where the offense uh, of Minnesota has, has proven that uh, uh, they can move it on anybody and they certainly can score some points on anybody. And I think at this point, uh, you probably have to give them a slight edge, but I would expect a, uh, the Iowa defense to uh, to uh, provide a pretty spirited uh, pretty spirited counterattack. The other thing to note here is just to keep in mind, Iowa's turnover margin on the season is now plus three. Minnesota is plus seven. They've been very good in that regard. Quick look at special teams. Of course, Keith Duncan set the uh, all-time Iowa program record with the field goals he kicked last week at, at Wisconsin. He's now has 22 on the season. He's been really very solid and 11 of 13 between 40 and 49 yards. I'm not sure you could ask much more from him, except uh, he'd probably like he'd probably trade a bunch of those field goals for touchdowns. And, and he's mentioned that on several occasions. You know, uh, job is to go out and do what he's asked to do, and he certainly has done it as well as anybody in the country. That's why he's been named the semifinalist for for the Groza Award this year. And you're right. I mean, you, you you would hope that you wouldn't be in a position where you have to to attempt 22 field goals. The good news is I was moving the ball. The bad news is you know they're having to settle for three a, a little more frequently. Than, than needed. And, and, you know, the flip side of that, you take a look at, at Minnesota's kicking situation. You know, they've, they've attempted nine field goals this season, and, and that tells you kind of where they're at offensively and how they've been able to, you know, to punch it into the end zone and, and be effective. And, uh, you know, that that's, that uh, could be an area where Iowa, at least from a consistency standpoint, may have an advantage this weekend. It also appears Iowa has the advantage in punting in this game. Sleep Dalton is now up to 42 yards uh, per punt and um, Minnesota's punter, Jacob Herbers, is averaging 38.4, kind of in the middle of the pack there. Yeah, Herbers and, and, and their their kicker, Michael Lance, are, are, are both uh, first-year starters. And so, you know, that, those were areas where Minnesota knew they were going to be green. They had a couple of very veteran specialists a year ago. And, and uh, you know, you, you, when you throw a new body out there, sometimes you, you, you live with some inconsistencies. And, and yeah, if you take a look Look at uh, you know at Herbers. He's he's had 31 punts. You know he's put 12 inside the 20 and and had two of, of 50 plus yards. And, and uh, Lance is you know five of eight. And and uh, his misses you know have been from from 30 on. 
one out. He's he's two of two from twenty to third, from twenty to twenty nine yards. So you know they don't necessarily uh, have a lot of uh, use for him in in terms of, of need. And and when he has been out there, um, it, it's been a little inconsistent beyond thirty. So you know, but when you're moving the ball the way they moved it, a lot of times that's that's what transpires. Uh, neither team has shown much on punt returns. It's an interesting look though at the two kick returners primarily. Iowa's of course is Amir Smith-Marset and uh, Minnesota's is their running back Rodney Smith whose numbers are very similar to Smith-Marset's except that he's only had four kickoff returns and Smith-Marset has had 10. Yeah it tells you that maybe Minnesota's emphasis a little bit has been more on, on uh, you know simply fielding the ball and and, uh, and Smith has kind of shared the, the, uh, the role a little bit with Dominique Douglas who, who, who uh, you know uh, was involved a little more earlier but yeah you you've got uh, Smith Marset a potential guy that certainly has a quickness to to uh, you know to be electric in those situations at time and and uh, Smith uh, uh, although he has fewer opportunities so far this year has, has been has the same type of potential um, and he's shown that both as a as a running back and, and as a returning guy I'm sure Smith Marset would like nothing better than to meet his preseason goal of at least one kickoff return touchdown and that could make a big difference in this game Saturday. So here we are, Floyd at stake. Certainly one of the most iconic trophies in college football. And uh, Minnesota looking to break Iowa's streak of keeping Floyd in Iowa City. How do you see this game shaking up? Yeah, the 85th time Iowa and Minnesota played for Floyd. You know, that uh, I think it's going to be a close game. Uh, you know, if you look at the recent history of, uh, of this series, for the most part, the games have been fairly competitive. Certainly Minnesota with a lot to play for, but I think it's Kinnick, I'm going to give an Iowa an edge in this game, and I, I think it's probably going to be somewhere in the 24 to 21 kind of range, and uh, I wouldn't be stunned to see it come down to a kick, uh, um, you know, so at some point in, in the fourth quarter, but, uh, you know, as uh, Kirk Ferentz alluded to earlier this week, getting to 9-0 is hard. The only thing harder might be getting to 10-0, and and there's a reason you, you continue to see teams, you know, suffering that first loss of the season. It, the pressure kind of mounts, and, uh, you know, Minnesota certainly uh, has uh, Rose Bowl hopes and, and other such things, and um, Iowa has its own hopes, and, and that involves get, finding a way to get 10 wins, and that has to start this week if it's going to happen. McFinish! Sir! Do you know what I just saw? No, sir. A gopher! Gopher! Do you know what gophers can do? Ooh, better get rid of those gophers. Is that clear? Oh, aye, sir. Very clear, sir. I'll put my best mind on it. I want you to kill every gopher. The little brown furry rodents. We can do that. Aye. We don't even have to have a reason. Do it, man. Our thanks again, as always, to our regulars on Hawkeyes, Mike, Scott Docterman, Steve Batterson, and John Bonenkamp. We hope you've enjoyed this program. All Hawkeyes, Mike podcasts are available and can be subscribed to on Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher. HawkeyesMike.com, podcasting original programming on Iowa athletics for 13 seasons. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.